Greetings, friends, and welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean, your host. The website can be found at www.scriptureandprophecy.com. Well, we are wrapping up our study this week uh, for Shavuot, and we're going to end with the story of Pentecost uh, in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2 is where we find this. And Pentecost just simply means 50, and if you remember, you're counting 50 days. Um, and that's how we do, or from Passover, and that's how you determine when uh, Shavuot is. It's also known as the Feast of Weeks. It deals with the harvest. We've been talking about all this. Many prophecy watchers and believers who study these topics believe that the rapture of the church, the return of Christ, the gathering of the people, whatever you want to call it, is most likely to happen on Shavuot because of the theme of the feast, and we know that all the feast days clearly point to Messiah and the work of the Messiah, the prophetic work of the Messiah. As a matter of fact, uh, in Acts chapter 2, what we're going to see is on Pentecost, um, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church, um, and conveniently, because this is one of those feasts where you you know, where it was commanded that you had to uh, go to Jerusalem, um, there was Jews from all over the world, more or less, there, right? Because they had gathered for the feast. And then there was a great harvest of souls of people to come to Christ because of this miracle that took place. And so we're going to read about that. Uh, let's start by reading just a couple of passages about Shavuot um, out of the scriptures. We'll read one uh, out of Deuteronomy and one out of Leviticus here. So Deuteronomy 16, 9 through 12 says this, talking about the Feast of Weeks. Seven weeks shalt thou number unto thee. Begin to number the seven weeks from such a time as thou beginnest to put the sickle to the corn. And thou shalt keep the Feast of Weeks unto the Lord thy God with a tribute of a freewill offering of thy hand which thou shalt give unto the Lord thy God according as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite that is within, the, within thy gates and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are among you in the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name there. And thou shalt remember that thou was a bondman in Egypt, and thou shalt observe and do these statutes. And so we, we notice from this passage that it's also a time to rejoice before the Lord, right? Before the Lord thy God. It says there in verse 11, Thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, and thy son, and thy daughter, and thy manservant, and thy maidservant, and the Levite that is within thy gates, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow that are among you, in the place which the Lord thy God had chosen to place his name there. Um, matter of fact, one of the traditions is to eat dairy, like, uh, cheesecake, things like that. You know, it's a time of remembering, um, all of these things. Um, let's move on to Leviticus chapter 23 real quick. I'm going to read 15 through 21, and then we'll get into our story in the book of Acts. And here's what Leviticus says regarding to the Feast of Weeks. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. 
even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Ye shall bring it out of your habitations, two wave loaves of two tenths deals. They shall be of fine flour, they shall be bacon and with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. And ye shall offer the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one bullock, and two rams, and they shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And their meat offering and their drink offerings, and even an offering made by fire of sweet Savior unto the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice a kid of the goats for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year, the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statue forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. So there again, and it's very specific that it's 50 days. And so again, Pentecost means 50 days. And so that's where that comes from. All right, I think we've made uh, all that clear. So you should have a really good understanding of the Feast of Weeks, when it is, um, and some of the practices that were done, uh, which were, again, foreshadows of the Messiah. Now let's read what took place in Acts chapter 2, dealing with Pentecost. We're going to read from the King James Bible. Let's start with verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as if a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So, you have the Holy Spirit being poured out. They begin to speak in tongues. And of course, what I believe the tongues are talking about here um, is meaning just different languages. And there was a purpose for this, as we're going to see, because it just told us that there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. So you had all kinds of Jews from all over the place who spoke all kinds of different languages that were there. And they were there because they were obeying uh, the law to, uh, to come to Jerusalem uh, for the Feast of Weeks. Verse 6. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Paranthians, Medes, and Lamanites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and in Cappadocia, and in Pontus, and in Asia, and Perga, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Crine, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed, and were in doubt, saying to one another, What meaneth this? 
Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith the God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young man shall see visions, and your old man shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, so the people are marveling. Man, how, how is it possible that they're speaking in all these different tongues? And we're, all, we're hearing them all on our own. And then, of course, you've got always got a couple of mockers, right? You've always got those people who are fake believers. You know, they're just pretending they're just playing along and then when you know some marvelous event takes place they become scoffers and mockers and peter says obviously they're not drunk it's only the third hour of the day what you're seeing right now is the fulfillment of a prophecy spoken by joel and that prophecy we can find uh, in joel 2 uh, starting with verse 28 uh, I'm going to read it, even though Peter just quoted it. I want to read it again uh, right out of uh, out of Joel for you. Um, and, and Peter's saying, what, what you're witnessing, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and, and people prophesying and all these things happening, this is a fulfillment of that prophecy. And so let me read this from Joel. Uh, chapter 2, starting with verse 28. And this is what Joel said. He said, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old man shall dream dreams, and your young man shall see visions. And also upon the servant and upon the handmaids in those days will I pull out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in a remnant whom the Lord shall call. And so we're seeing, and I believe that fulfillment has continued on as the Spirit continues to be poured out upon the believers. Um, there was a great and terrible day of the Lord uh, that took place in 70 AD when the Romans came in and destroyed uh, countless Jews. Uh, tore down the temple, you know, all those great judgments came as a result of the rejection of Messiah. But, like I say, in many cases, I believe prophecy in the scriptures themselves is living and has multiple fulfillments. And I think we're going to see another version of this here in these last days where there'll be another great outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a small remnant of people. We're going to see these great wonders in heaven. We've, which I think we already are seeing those signs. Um, there'll be a great calling out for the Lord, and a great deliverance, and then, of course, a great judgment to come. All right, let's continue on here. We are ready for verse 22. 
Ye men of Israel, this is Peter. He's still now. Peter's about to go into a sermon now. He just he just started by quoting. I got to say this. One thing I've noticed when I see the apostles and people preaching, they'll they'll preach by using the scriptures, uh, which preachers in modern times could learn something from. Uh, so he starts by saying, "Look here, this is the said, so he quotes prophecy, and that's what gets people's attention." And then he goes on to continue his sermon, verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, and that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy." with thy countenance. So Peter goes on. He's, now he's quoting another prophecy. He's quoting Psalm 16. Um, let's just go ahead and look at it. We're looking for Psalm 16, and it's, it's uh, verses 8 through 11. He's quoting the prophecy from King David, in which King David says, the, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, and I shall not be moved. Peter's saying this is about... Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices, and my flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures evermore. Verse 29, the book of Acts. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and he is, and his sepulcher is here with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his lines, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father of the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make thy foes a footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So see, they're waiting around for King David to appear again, right? And he's saying, look, you've got it wrong. Even King David said, the, my Lord said to my Lord, right? Even David sent into the heavens, but himself said, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit on my right hand. Remember when Jesus even asked the Pharisees, how is it that David says this? The point they're trying to make is that David was the type, 
Messiah type, figure type, and it was his lines that the Messiah would come through. And this Jesus, whom you have crucified, is both Lord, he is both Adonai, and he is both Mashiach. So he is both, he is both Lord and Christ. And so Peter's giving him a little Bible lesson there, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter, and unto the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, when you hear me say, I hope that the words that I'm giving you today pierce your hearts. This is what I'm talking about. And this is where I get that from. Because as Peter's given this message, and he's sharing the word of God. Listen, most of what Peter is saying is not his own words, but he's just quoting the scriptures. And this is how I prefer to teach as well. And that's why I always say, oh, I pray in the name of Jesus that your hearts are pierced. This is what I'm getting at. It says they heard these words. They heard Peter's preaching. They heard him reciting the scriptures, bringing them to light for them. And it says their hearts were pricked. And then they asked the question, what should we do? Now, is Peter going to say, well, you need to need to go through these classes at church or you need to uh, say the sinner's prayer, recite the sinner's prayer or what, what is he going to say? Because they're asking, what should we do now? Our hearts are pricked. We believe what you're saying. Now what do we do? Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins and ye turn the page here shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you, and to do your into your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with any, many other words he testified and exhorts, saying, Save yourselves from this untowered generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. You see, the way salvation works is there's a belief, right? You just believe. You hear it, your hearts are pierced, and you believe. This is true. And then you say, oh my gosh, I have sinned. And you repent of that sin, which means to turn away from it. Repentance is key to this process. But it's conveniently, sadly, and dangerously left out uh, the message that the church wants to deliver today because the church isn't telling people, hey, repent, turn away from sin. I mean, if you fall, you, you get up and you, return, and you repent again. And you're growing in repentance because the more holy you become and the more like Christ you become, the little things that you used to not think of of sin, suddenly you're realizing they are sin and so now you're repenting of that. And you're growing in repentance. And of course, he says to be baptized. People are always trying to look for shortcuts. I don't think baptism is a salvation issue, but it sure is an obedience issue. And so we should all be baptized in the name of Jesus. And so if you haven't been, seek out a pastor to do that. Sometimes people, uh, I had an email recently, somebody asked me, you know, do you know of anybody? And my response was, you know, try to find a community near you. Um, because the Bible tells us that we are not to... Uh, stop gathering together, which is the customs of some, especially as we see that day approaching. In other words, you need to be surrounding yourselves with believers and all the more as you see that day coming. 
in that day of obviously talking about the return of Christ. Um, and you don't have to, listen, you don't have to get baptized at a church in front of a crowd. A godly man can, can immerse you in a river out behind your house or whatever. Um, that's, that's, what you, that's all you need. So try to find somebody to do that for you. Um, all right. Last few verses. Starting with verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines and fellowship and in a breaking bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them all to, parted to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily, they, and they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so the attitude of the early church, these early believers, was to have everything in common. To meet all the... Listen, the scripture is very clear that we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to have, we're to share, we're to, to bless one another, to care for one another's needs. Most of the time when the New Testament is saying, talking about loving one another, Jesus is typically talking about the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the, the brothers and sisters of the faith. This is how the world will know that you are my disciple by the way you love one another. He's talking about how you treat one another, specifically within the church. But what do we see? Just go to the comment sections on any Christian YouTube channel and watch other Christians devouring each other. You should, you should see some of the emails I get sometimes and the names that I'm called. And honestly, my comment section is really tame compared to what I see happening to other people. Very, most of you are very gracious with me, which is good because I need all the grace I can get. But I see the way people talk to one another, and I'm like, this is not Christ-like. How, how can you claim to have the Spirit of God in you when all you're wanting to do is tear down your fellow brethren because they don't see things exactly the same way you do? Because you'd rather tear your brother or sister apart and protect your little pet doctrine than to show love. So those are the kinds of things uh, that are troubling. This picture that we just saw at the end of the book of Acts is not what I see in the church today. But I pray that all of our hearts are pricked this morning and that we're motivated to walk in a way that honors God and that demonstrates a great love for one another that the world will look at us look at this community of people anyway and say those people are definitely Jesus' disciples because look at how they love each other that is the podcast for this morning it's been a blessing to me I pray in the powerful name of Jesus that it's been a blessing to you uh, next week, Lord willing, we will resume our typical studies. We're still working through the book of Acts, as a matter of fact. I think we're ready for chapter 20 or 21. I'll have to look and see. Uh, we're still working through the book of Jubilees. And uh, I haven't decided what to do for Monday, but we'll see what uh, what God has in store for us. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Um, uh, just I'm blessed beyond belief by you guys. And uh, 
as you all know, the dream is to someday do this, provide this five or six days a week from you for you and have uh, more time to do more studies. Uh, you know, I'm still trying to find time to do the question and answer podcast. Um, there's some things I need to address that are kind of housekeeping things and it's just all about finding time. Um, but your support has just been a massive blessing to me and to my family. So thank you so much for that. Um, it's far more than I deserve. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.